passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back in. The Bite Me Podcast is here for you, and uh, we're excited to bring you another episode. I'm John Lopez. We have Captain Scott Null, of course, and we brought back uh, Captain Caleb. How about that? Captain Caleb's going to be joining us. Uh, he's still counting his winnings from all the tournaments that he's won. I'm sure he's spending it on fishing gear. Uh, but, uh, look, appreciate you guys joining us. We really, really enjoyed doing this podcast. Uh, what's really good is we got a lot of people that are texting us and messaging us uh, on and off of the Facebook group page. Um, if you have our direct information you can uh, contact us directly i'm at lopez on sports or lopez on sports on on instagram at lopez on sports on twitter captain uh, scott is on instagram captain scott Null. he has captain scott and of course uh you can reach us all captain caleb he's got captain caleb tv which i want to talk about that a little deeper dive this week i felt like i shortchanged him last week on captain caleb tv uh because uh, the podcast was getting a little long as we are wont to do when three of us start talking fishing so we'll get into that to that as well and boy talk about shortchanging people we shortchanged ourselves scott we we dropped the ball big time last week we didn't mention all the bite me gear that that camille has been uh working ever so hard on uh we have some really cool hats in fact there's one right there right next to uh to captain caleb they look really really cool uh really cool shirts uh, different colors now, uh, and we're going to get more, and stickers that you can represent, and you can put it on your kayak or your boat or your tackle box or whatever. Uh, you go to um, your fishing site, and, and, and Scott, get, let's get details before we get into the topics this week of uh, where people can uh, purchase uh, the gear. Uh, because uh, that's how Scott gets here. If, if you don't buy stuff, Scott doesn't have money for gas. So where can we get some of that stuff? Uh, she set it up through my uh, photography page, scottknollphotography.com. Um, there's a store in there, and you can go in and get order whatever you want, stickers and 
uh, hats and she turns it off if you know we don't do back orders uh so if we're out of one she'll just turn it off so you can't we don't want anybody ordering it and then having to wait till the next time that we manage to place an order because this believe it or not is not our full-time job <laughs> and uh, it's not camille's full-time job she has one of those so she does this out of the goodness of her heart and uh, she works pretty hard at it I, I dropped some stuff off at the post office just yesterday so if you if you're waiting on an order you know, it should be coming here pretty quick. It seems like they're getting them out pretty pretty fast. All right, let's get to it. A uh, lot to cover. Talk about jetties, talk about redfish and gar. Do they coexist? All kinds of stuff. Let's start right here, though, because I know, Scott, you have a, uh, a recent experience. If you haven't been stuck on the water yet, you will. <laughs> I mean, if you fish enough, if you haven't had trouble, whether it's electrical, uh, mechanical, uh, stuck on a reef, uh, guilty as charged multiple times right here. Uh, I know Caleb has got his adventures that, that he deals with on a regular basis, and that's what uh, it's an endearing quality, and we'll just stick with that story. Uh, but trouble can be like it's not just something you have a beer over and reminisce and kind of laugh. It can flat out kill you, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, over-dramatize things, but uh, we're going to get into some details of, of how to deal with certain things that happen on the water uh, if you're out on the water on a boat. But, Scott, you you up close and personal had some experience with that recently. Yeah, I meant to tell you about it last week. Uh, I'd gone down, it was the Monday before the storm came in. It was dead slick, calm up here, and I wanted to go out and play around with the tarpon. Didn't have any customers. And, uh, you know, later on I talked to Caleb about it, and he's like, you went out in the beachfront today? It, it sucked up here, you know. Matagorda, it was rough. Down where I was, it was dead slick calm in the morning. Uh, it was that one to twos at seven seconds that I love. And uh, so I, just, and I couldn't find a dead gum tarpon. I'd looked on Sunday. Camille and I had gone out, and we couldn't find them. And I got word from a buddy that they were way down a lot further south than I'd been. So I went on down. Heck, I was past the Darlington, mm -hmm. uh, which is way on down uh, Matagorda Island. And I just kept going because it was nice, you know. And I said, hell, I got water. I got everything I need. You know, I'll just go until I find them. I may end up in Port Aransas. <laughs> you know, we'll see. And uh, sure enough, I found some fish. And uh, they weren't cooperative, weren't eating. But uh, I did find a few tarpon down there. But then all of a sudden, I felt this little breeze kind of pick up off my back. And I thought, man, that... That was an odd direction. I mean, it didn't feel right. It was just, yeah. it you know. It had a different feel about it. Yeah. Well, it was a northeast wind. And I don't know where it came from or why it happened, but it was a northeast wind. And I turned around and looked, and there's a big old storm coming. It looks like it's about over greens in Matagorda. And so I, I'll just start heading back. And as I went back, it got rougher and rougher and rougher. And, I mean, I'm pounding. And my big boat, Kayla's been in it and some rough stuff. It'll handle rough water. I couldn't go more like 15. I mean, I was – the bottom was dropping out on me. I had cross waves coming. I had, you know, the swell picked up to three to four foot. And then I had cross side, sideway waves within those. And so I was getting in the little guts. Anyway, I'm beating my way back. And then as I got up there almost back to Pascavallo – it just went black. I mean, it turned solid black. The The lighthouse went away. I was a couple miles short of the pass at that point. So I just turned. I looked offshore, and everything was fine. There was a water spout dropping out of it. I mean, it, it was not a, a pretty one. So I just turned the boat and went offshore. You know, I get away, go around this thing. Okay. 
And so I went out three or four miles out and just sat there and watched it go by. You know, just, I mean, it wasn't, like, dangerous for me. You know, it was, the boat was fine. Everything was fine. So once it went by and I could see see the pass, I said, well, I ain't running all the way to the jetties in this rough stuff. I'll just run up and I'll come in the pass. Well, Pascavallo is not as tricky as it was at one point. You know, in the past, it had sanded up pretty good. It had some really weird sandbars in it. Uh, it's opened up after Harvey now. And so it's a whole lot a whole lot more accessible. You can, If you know what you're doing and you know how to read it, you can run through there pretty easy. So I'm running up there, and I'm going on the Matagorda Island side, and I'm going to slip in through one of the deep cuts through there. Well, the waves, like I said, had built up to three-plus, and so they were crashing onto these sandbars. And so it was really easy to read. The times it's harder to read is when it's calm. Yeah. Um, but with this, man, that was white water, and it was, you know, the washing machine was going on. It was rough. So I just ducked over there into the channel and was coming on in. Well, right before I did that, this big Kenner boat comes from offshore, and these guys are pounding, man. I mean, they're beating, his, beating their brains out. Uh, I mean, that lose a kidney kind of stuff and they come flying in there and they got a t-top and they got big rods hanging off the t-top and everything it's two guys and i glance over at them and they're coming right to the middle of the pass where all the sandbars are and i'm thinking man they must know something i don't know yeah. about this because they're they're on a beeline heading right for it i glance over and they both got their life jackets on good idea i mean it's yeah. it's a little rough and then they just all of a sudden hold up outside the pass and they start zigzagging and they're looking and they're trying to figure it out. And I'm already committed and going in, so I'm waving at them to come over my way. You know, and they don't, they're not looking at me. They're just, the panic was setting in. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could tell it was, it was not good. They circled around out there for a second and then they just charged in over the sandbars. I mean, they just gunned it. And off they go into that white water. We've all watched those videos now of Jupiter Inlet in Florida where the boats get swamped from behind and then they nose in. These guys came to a screeching halt. I mean, all forward momentum stopped. They hit a sandbar with their lower unit. And uh, both of them fell down in the boat, got back up. You know, they're scrambling up. The next wave comes in and fills up the back end of the boat. And they're both just standing there. Well, one of them grabs the life ring off of the the uh, t-top and starts waving it at me and, and trying to get me to come get them they're in the washing machine they're in the the that area between two sandbars yeah. where it's breaking like crazy and the current it was an outgoing tide on top of this with the wind blowing in and i mean they were in no man's land it's not a place you want to go and but they're waving at me and i'm not going to leave them yeah. you know i mean I could have just put blinders on and just kept on going, you know, but I'm watching these guys. I'm thinking, man, they're fixing to go under. And uh, so I started easing back out there. I just nosed into this stuff and just watched. And I, I was reading the waves and reading where the sandbars were. And I knew if I went up to this one spot, there was a cut in the sandbar. I could slide through it and get over there to them because I thought they had taken their lower unit out. Yeah. I mean, that was my – the way they stopped, I figured – you know, that was a Caleb stop, man. I mean, it, it came to a screeching halt. So I'm going to ease out there to them, trying to think, man, how am I going to tie off to these guys, you know? Yeah. And as I get there, I get close to them. I run a couple of Asian guys, and they're yelling at me in, in Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's we're not communicating real well. And they are excited and nervous, and they're screaming. And uh, the boat's filling up. They're standing knee deep. And uh, as I get up there, 
like I said, I'm still trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to manage to get a rope to them, drive my boat, I'm by myself. I realize their motor's still running. I mean, they're, the, uh, the water's still coming out. The little pea stream's still yeah. coming out. Yeah. And I hollered at the guy. I said, is your boat still running? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, gun it. Yeah. And he goes, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I'm like, just gun it. I said, hey, I don't know my way. I don't know. I don't want to hit another bar. I don't want to. I don't want to hit something. I said, come my direction. I'm in an opening. Yeah. Point it to me. Gun it and let's go. Yeah. He goes, you know your way back to Port O'Connor. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. He goes, okay, I'll follow you. I'm like, I'll follow you. Well, good idea. Let's follow me. And so I take off and start easing out of there, and I know they can't go very fast because their boat is absolutely full of water. And uh, they take off, and their boat starts draining you know, as they're going along there. And uh, I ended up running up into Solaria and Mitchell's Cut and coming in that back way because it was, it was still pretty daggum rough out in the open bay. So once I got in there, I'm, I'm goosing it a little bit because I'm thinking, nah, they know their way back. Now, I look back, if I would have stopped, they would have run my motor over. <laughs> These guys, they were like a foot and a half off the back end of my boat. They were not going to lose me. And I pull up to the fishing center, and they pull up, and you talk about guys getting out and kissing the ground. The one guy that was holding up the, the circular little throwing ring, he jumped out, and he's bending down on the, on the dock, and it's I don't know if he was praying or what he was doing, but he was so happy to be back. And both of them just on and on and on about, thank you, thank you, you saved our lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And all the guys standing on the docks are like, what in the hell is going on out there? What, ha what happened to these guys? So anyway, they, they pulled their boats out and off they went. But had I not been there, those guys would have sat there in that one spot. Don't do that, man. If, if, when things happen and it goes bad, do something. It may be wrong. Yeah. But you did something. You right. you tried something. They were going to sit there and let that boat fill up with water, and they were about two waves away from that thing capsizing. And then they'd have been they'd have been out there in the water on an outgoing tide, yeah. uh, with storms rolling around. It it could have gotten really ugly. Well, that that's kind of you know we always try to turn these stories, um, and you guys always have some great stories um, into topics, Caleb. Uh, and, and so I think the topic here is, you know, dealing with various kind of trouble uh, while on the water. Uh, generally to me, it, it well, for me, <laughs> to me and for me, it's one of two things that I get in trouble. Uh, it's getting stuck, you know, like, like they did, whether it's a shell reef, a, a, you know, skinny water, whatever, or you're going to have a mechanical problem. Can't help some of these things. We've, we, like I said, if you haven't been in trouble on the water, you're going to soon be... Uh, in trouble on the water at some point. I mean, hopefully not, but just be careful. But how do you mitigate, how, how do you lessen that? How do, how do you put the odds in your favor? And I think the number one thing, and, and what you did when you were in trouble, Scott, or saw trouble, going back out into the, you know, toward the Gulf, a lot of people wouldn't have thought of that. You know, that, that was, you know, read your radar, use your electronics, don't panic. Everybody, it's easy to say don't panic. Uh, but that was, a, that was a professional move. I mean, the, you know what? A lot of people would have just said, yeah, I think we can maybe make it, or let's just ride it out, or let's get wet, or whatever. Just use your brain. What are some other things here? You ever heard two big pieces of metal, the sound it makes when they hit together? Yeah, trash cans. 
that's what it sounds like when Scott walks. If I was with Scott going down that beachfront seeing that coming, and he said, we're going to run four miles out, we would have had a serious conversation about that. <laughs> but like you said, that's a veteran move. You know, that's a guy that's been out there and done it. Things are going to happen. They, we're, we're, we're running boats with stuff, stuff going on all over them in an environment. One of my favorite sayings is the only thing salt water doesn't tear up is other salt water. Um, I carry a pretty impressive toolbox in my boat. It's in a big, it, I went to Home Depot or Lowe's or something and I bought one of everything I could think of. Electrical tools, zip ties, uh, grease. I have, I have a tube of stuff to make gaskets with and it's all in a big waterproof box in my boat. But if you do have mechanical issues, nine times out of 10 is something fairly simple. So instead of, instead of panicking and freaking out and calling everybody, just start start looking at wires, tracing wires. There's not that much going on on your boat other than, you know, in that motor. And a lot of the times, I, I, I the other day, my boat was, it was blowing. It was, I, I think it was smoking real bad. There was something going on. It sounded absolutely terrible. Robert and I turned it off to fish a little bit because we were that concerned about it. <laughs> but when it was time to turn it back on, it wouldn't start. It sounded like the battery was dead. It sounded like, it just sounded terrible. And your first thought would be to call Towboat USA or whoever it is. We took the cowling off, and there was a vacuum hose that was unhooked. Keep your head together. Look on. Look under your 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 dash. There's not that much wiring going on. You know something got came unplugged. Something came rattled loose. If your motor won't start and you have a trolling motor, just move the move the battery cables over to the trolling motor battery. But keep your head about it, and you know. And if it worse comes to worse, you can fix anything on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Anything. That's a great point. I mean, just look it up. <laughs> look it up. I have a. A guy uh, that that has told me for years, every time you turn your key on your motor, something's going bad. You know, you could, because when you turn your key and you're on the water and it's salt water, as we talk about here, something is going bad. So be prepared. My toolbox is maybe not as ominous as yours. That sounds impressive, uh, but it's good. I'm getting a new boat. Uh, as you guys know, I'm going to the boatyard and going to get a Freedom boat. Uh, those guys do a great job. You know, we, we talk about them all the time. I'm excited about it. My last boat ran pretty shallow, maybe not as, as shallow as, as the Warrior that I'm getting, um, but it still gets stuck. And I know you have some thoughts on what Caleb said, uh, but what about, you know, the, the, the getting stuck part? Um, hopefully that won't happen with my new one, but, uh, but what about that part? I mean, you're passing it to me to talk about getting stuck. I mean, when, when I get stuck, I step out of my boat and it floats. You know, when I'm the Sabine, it's unbelievable. I can leave my customers in it. You know, they always say, hey, man, you need me to get out. No, no, we're good. If one of us gets out, the boat will float where we're at. So I don't really worry about it a whole lot. You know, now on the big boat, I'm, I'm running the beachfront and I'm doing that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm generally not pushing that boat very much, you know, as far as the shallow water stuff goes. But what I wanted to get back to was Caleb talking about taking the cowling off. Take your cowling off before you have problems. Take your cowling off while you're at the house. Look at all those wires. Look at look at everything. Maybe even take pictures of it. You know, have have some photos on your phone of what things are supposed to look like. He knew that that vacuum hose was off because he's looked at his motor before, and that vacuum hose it was an obvious thing to him. Somebody who's never looked under the cowling before and just counts on a mechanic to take care of everything might not have known that, you know, they pull that cowling off and look at it and go, well, I don't know where that's supposed to go. You know, this shouldn't be there. I've had the exact same thing. Uh, it wasn't a, a hose. It was a, a wiring wiring issue. There was a plug on my old uh, Evinrude on the that last boat I had on that East Cape, and 
we're running in Louisiana and it is just beating us to death as we're running way out in the open and uh, had a couple customers on there and we're running back and as as we're running back through this pretty rough stuff a little storm had come up and we're bouncing pretty good and just all of a sudden the motor quit i mean just totally just stopped and we're out there and pretty rough stuff and we're a long ways and kayla's been over there with me there's nobody around i mean it it's in january february in louisiana marsh there was not another boat within sight and as i pulled the cowling off i'm looking well the rough water just one of the little plugs it wasn't completely apart but it didn't look like it used to look you know i mean it, it was just showing you know they've got these new ones are the waterproof little plugs they have like a little accordion uh, yeah. of plastic or rubber around it the accordion was stretched out i mean i saw that and i got the thing i said man that's that should be squished you know it should be closed up so i just i pulled it apart looked at it and i carry all kind of stuff like he does i sprayed a little bit of uh the uh, corrosion stuff on there and put it back together and fired right up and the, we ran back in with no problem my two customers were not used to working on anything <laughs> yeah and they were both just dumbfounded that i was able to pull the cowling off diagnose it put it back together and we're up and running again they're already like you know calling their wives and you know telling where the wheel was yeah it, it it's usually something simple my twenty six thousand dollar motor that hose is held on by the tiniest zip tie I've ever seen in my life. And I put I put a heavy-duty zip tie on it to fix it. I just want you to know. All right, let's catch some fish now, man. Uh, let, 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 let's get on the water. Uh, questions for the podcast, they come in every week. We really appreciate it. Uh, that is uh, on, again, if you can do it uh, on the Facebook group page, that would be best. Here's a good one. Uh, I know Scott and I have touched on it a little bit. Uh, we'll see what Caleb has to say. But it's a good time to, to get back on this. Uh, if you could give the 101 on catching trout, reds, heck, even mangrove snapper, our listener says, uh, off the jetties. Kind of a jetties 101. Uh, obviously, we've talked about current, and he and he mentioned that. Uh, but uh, what are you looking for specifically? Structures, sonar? Uh, do you just troll along until you, you find something that's bait, I'm guessing, is what he's talking about, that's feeding? Uh, what rigs? I mean, kind of a 101. Let's just dig deep. Uh, Scott has some really good points uh, from his perspective. But, Caleb, I'll start with you on this one. You know, jetties, fishing from the boat is what we're talking about. Scott has, Scott has a lot more to offer on this than I do. But whenever I first, when I first got into fishing, um, we would go to the jetties often. And what I would have is a pop and cork with a three or four foot leader. I would want the tide to be moving one direction or the other, but not ripping. So I'd be at the beginning of the end of whichever tide it may be. And we would kind of float down them and, and throw those pop and corks up against the rocks. And when we got into the, when we got into where there were fish, then we did made ever ever we could, whether it was a trolling motor or, a, or an anchor and, and just sit on that spot. But that, that was really, what I had to offer on the jetties is I didn't want the current really ripping. I wanted it moving kind of light. And then whenever I found a spot that had them, I tried to hang on it. Yeah, the two worst parts of being on the jetty are dead calm, you know, no movement, and way too much movement. And uh, nowadays with the trolling motors, yeah, I do the spot lock. And then I can, I did it with Camille the other day. We were sitting out on the jetties. I said, man, the current's moving pretty good in here. 
And uh, she said, really think so? I said, yeah, it's about a four. And uh, you put the spot lock on, and while the spot lock is keeping you in one spot, you just look at the little the screen, yeah. and it'll tell you how fast that motor's turning to hold you in one spot. So I've learned, you know, that's a four, you know. And uh, if it gets up above five or six, the chances are really good that the fish aren't going to be feeding along there. It's just too fast. There's too much. They have to work too hard to stay in one spot or to, to feed. So I'll, I'll back off the jetties at those times. If it's going out, I'm going to go out off the end of the jetty where it's uh, where that current's kind of swirling. If it's coming in, I'll go just on the inside of the bay on the backside. When it gets too rough and you know there's there's too much current, you gotta you gotta move off of it. Uh, maybe even go to the outside if it's an outgoing tide. Go to the outside of the jetty instead of saying on the channel side. Whether or not to fish the channel or the outside, I mean it it's just experience and and trying it and giving it a shot. Um, he asked about how to safely anchor up or get in your spot. Mm-hmm. The best way is with these new trolling motors. That's the absolute best way to do it. Um, Stephen Reed, our buddy, uh, he fishes the jetties every day. I mean, he's always out there. And uh, they were complaining, and him and some other guys that do it are complaining about losing their anchors. You know? And I told him, man, just get you a trolling motor and hit yeah. spot lock on it. And uh, afterwards, when he did that, he's with his new boat. He, he had gotten a new Mountie. It was like, oh man, yeah. this is this is awesome. Yeah. And uh, so he doesn't. They don't have to tie up to. They've got some a couple of anchor spots out there now, and they tie up to them. They got buoys, mm-hmm. you know, set up, and they'll pull up and tie off to that. I use the uh, the sonar to more to find bait than I do individual fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to. I'll cruise down the jetties when I first get there, and I'll. I'll watch that side scan and see if there's any clouds of bait, particularly if it's dead tide. That's when I love to find that bait because I know that if I find bait on that inside or the outside or the north or the south, whichever one it is, it has the biggest clouds of bait on no tide. Mm -hmm. As soon as that tide starts rolling, that bait's going to move up against the rocks and the predators are going to come after it and they're going to start moving in as well. I don't know where they come from. Don't know where they're at when it's not the tide's not moving, but uh, it's like a magnet, and they'll just start showing up. And now, whether that's trout or reds or hell at Port O'Connor, it could be you know anything. I mean, Steve caught a sailfish at the jetties. You know, uh, we get kingfish all the time. He got a 42-inch ling the other day right off the rocks. It's all about current out there and uh, current and bait. You know, if you just keep those two things in mind, uh, as far as lures go, when I was younger, I threw a whole lot of jigs, and we called them uh, bubblegum heads, you know, just just a round bubblegum head, and uh, we used the ones that had the light, real light gold-colored hooks on them. They were more freshwater kind of thing, and we use those because you're going to hang up. If you're doing it right, you want to be bouncing on those rocks, and you'd hang up quite a bit. Well, you could straighten those hooks out, and you didn't break off quite as much. Uh, Nowadays... I still I use the better hooks and everything, but I'm better at not hanging up. Uh, one of the things that that happened during uh, all the redfish cups was uh, the fernets started showing up from Louisiana, mm-hmm. and as a father and son duo, and they started kicking everybody's butt. I mean, they showed up in Texas and they're from over there, and next thing you know, they're catching all these fish. And they're winning every tournament. Come to find out, they were going to the jetties and throwing crankbaits, deep dive bass crankbaits mm-hmm. at the jetties uh so i started doing that playing around with it and it works like a charm mm-hmm. i mean it really does uh people just don't do it very much uh it's expensive 
I mean, it's a very expensive right. way to go because you're losing an eight, nine, ten dollar crankbait, and you're gonna lose some if you're doing it right. You're bouncing in the rocks, and you're gonna lose a few. Pick the ones that have those big uh, bills on the front. It's like a twenty-five foot diving yeah. crankbait, and you'll lose fewer. They're more expensive, but uh, you'll lose less of them than you do with the smaller lips because those big lips bang into the rocks and protect the hook but that's a really good way to catch some really big fish along the jetties other than that jigs uh the popping cork like you talked about uh the mangrove snappers the best way to do them is a live shrimp small kale hook i, I tail hook them a lot use just enough weight and i like to do that like he said right at the beginning or the very end of the tide any kind of movement you can't really feel them because they're it's they're nibblers and uh, you feel this little tap tap and that's all you got but uh, the lightest amount of weight, I usually can get by with like split shot, mm -hmm. put one, two, three split shots on it where I drop it down, hit the rocks at about nine, 10, 12 feet off the jetties. It seems to be where I find the most of them. Let it hit the bottom, then lift it up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. If they're there, they're on within seconds. With the, with the crankbaits, um, here's something to help you out. Uh, I use the H2O Express from Academy. They're they're like three bucks, um, and that's the five to eight footers. I haven't bought any of the deeper stuff, but as soon as I get them, I take the hooks off of them, and I buy the BMC number two O'Shaughnessy's, which is the same kind of hook you see on a skitter walk, and switch those out right away. But we throw a lot of crankbaits, not just the jetties, but a lot of other deep water, and the, those cheaper crankbaits, they do good. Um, the expensive stuff, I have some, but like Scott said, we we lose so much tackle out there that. It, take, it takes a trust fund to keep up with that. And, and the, I think, you know, the main thing that uh, that I wanted to just ask you guys a couple of other things on this, uh, since we're talking about jetties, don't be afraid to lose tackle. You're going to lose tackle. I mean, it, it, if you're going to if you're going to fish the jetties correctly, you're going to lose tackle. Uh, the other thing is, like, you also lose tackle. Spanish mackerel are the bane of my existence <laughs> on jetties. Good Lord. Uh, and the reason, Scott, is is they're often mixed in with some really good fish. I mean, uh, and, and they can also just kill all your your tackle. Last thing, though, I wanted, I wanted you to talk about that. Just, you know, don't be afraid of to, to hit those rocks. In fact, not only don't be afraid, hit those rocks. You know, hit them uh, every cast if you can. Uh, and then about the rocks. And you and I have, have had this discussion before, what you're looking at is something different, just like anything else on a shoreline. Find a rock that's fallen. You've got some on your sonar that you've marked. Uh, uh, maybe there, there's in Sabine, when I used to fish there, the jetties had two spots that were kind of hard to see, but there was either the water or rock falling kind of created a flow through the jetty a little bit. So find that. It's just like anything else. What you're looking for is something different in terms of what you're looking at. People think of those rocks as a solid wall, and they're not. They're rocks. They're, they're piled on each other. The, the cracks and crevices that you're seeing above the water line are the same as what's underneath it. And there are areas um, where you can see that there's more water flow. Watch the other side of the jetty. Be on the inside. Get on the channel side of it and watch that outside on a really nice calm day on where it's calm on the inside. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a wave action on the outside. Watch the inside of the jetties after a wave hits and you'll see water boiling up in different places. Uh, usually there's a low spot in the jetties. You know, as you're looking at those rocks and they're all flat, then there's a little dip. Wherever that little dip is, there was a there was a cavity or a hole or something underneath there that caused those rocks to fall down when they were building them. And they built these things way back. I and mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like they were real real precise in in placing these things. Uh, so they lost some rocks. And I'll find them sometimes you know 20 30 feet 
off of the jetties where, you know, they were pulling one off and then the cable broke. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Something happened, but there's a rock way out there. Um, then there's others where, you know, two or three of them kind of fell all at once on them. You know, you could tell they were, they were stacking them up and then they just kind of rolled down. They had a little landslide. Uh, anything that's different like that up and down the jetties that causes a different water flow, uh, whether it's an eddy or whether it's, you know, a hole through the jetties, whatever it is, uh, is going to bring bait fish around it. And as far as throwing up against the rocks, I had very interesting little experience last year, year before I had tarpon rolling down the jetties, little baby tarpon were coming by myself. I'm on spot lock as they're coming. I got a little more current than I want. So I know I got to, yeah, I got to throw it right when they get there. These fish, had, they kept getting by me. Yeah. So I threw it up there and I, there was a flat rock that was only about two or three inches above the water line. So I threw my fly up onto that rock and I'm just going to strip it off you know, as they come by, because they were pushing right into the rock. Just before they came, a wave picked up my, my, fly, my fly line and pulls my fly off the rocks way too soon, you know, before I wanted it to. And so I start stripping really quick to get it back, to throw it back up there. And this big yellow side comes out from inside those rocks. I mean, deep in the rocks, comes out, and I guarantee you that was a 36 to 40-inch snook. And it came out of those rocks and I won't say exactly where, but it was in Port O'Connor on the jetties. And that fish came out there and took a swipe at my fly. And I was in such a hurry to get it back to the tarpon that I was stripping really fast. And he just swam out two or three feet off the rocks, took a swipe at it, and went back into the rock. I sat at that spot for probably an hour and a half, two hours, and threw at that same damn rock. And it never got him to come back out. But that will tell you that those fish are in those rocks. They're hiding in there. This is a huge fish. And he literally appeared out of the, the water was clear. I could see down three feet and he came out of the rocks and it didn't even look like there was a hole there. There's a lot, lot more to those little, yeah. you know, it's not just a solid wall. It's not concrete. It's not anything like that. It's, it's a, it's a sane. Think of it in terms. Water's going to come through. It goes in and it goes out. All right. I know you have uh, some, some opinions on this, Caleb, with uh, the next question we have. But before we get to that, one of the things I forgot about last week was to really ask you about what's going on lately with Captain Caleb TV. So I want to get to the question about gar and redfish, because that's a really good point that i think we've all experienced but what's happening with captain caleb tv Man, it is rocking along i I, mi I missed my first episode last week i was gone to that tournament and just couldn't get it done but i've hit 20 episodes now 32 3300 subscribers is what we're pushing on every every video is you know, it's a thousand views in the first couple of days i have a couple of videos that have 12 13 14 15 thousand views it's it, it's nuts it's, it's going really well um every day i'm answering 20 or 30 uh, emails or messages. So for you guys that are watching it, you know, I'm here to answer any questions. You guys support me. I want to support you. Um, if you haven't checked it out, if you haven't subscribed, go go check it out. It, it's it's found that it's quite different than most of the other channels out there. It's um, I, I hit a niche on accident. It man, it's been going great. I I, I think it's going to turn into something you know really cool here for too long. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless, really. All right, so uh, that's Captain Caleb TV. You can find that on YouTube. And, of course, it's kind of like what we're doing here. I mean, it's it's a very, very precise and directly approaches helping people catch fish, not just telling you how we caught fish or what we caught, uh, how to help. And if you can use the help, take it. Uh, like this. This is a really good question uh, that we got on, on the group page. I was fishing a back lake and started noticing several two to three feet three-foot gar, uh, along with a lot of bait. 
he didn't catch any reds, but was wondering if it's possible uh, because the gar scared that the gar scared them away. Uh, do you know if any reds or any other fish mingle if you see gar? Um, Caleb, I, I know we, we've all experienced this, uh, but I want to get your thoughts on this first. Maybe it's possible, but I haven't seen that. To, it, a gar doesn't bother me at all. Um, I spend 80% of my time in shallow water on my tower, trolling around looking for redfish, anywhere from two foot to six foot gar. Um, the tournament that we did well in last week, it there there was there were four footers everywhere. I mean, the the little two footers were they were more plentiful than the redfish, but the big big ones that maybe had a, had a chance of of you know hurting a redfish, I guess you would say. <laughs> Um, they were everywhere too. There's redfish mixed in with them. That was over on the Texas Louisiana border here in Matagorda. I, I see it all the time. The only the only issue I've ever had with gar is whenever I'm throwing cranks or rattle traps at deep rocks that the gar usually gets to my lure before yeah. the redfish do. I have I have one set of hookouts like pliers for redfish on my boat. Mm -hmm. In the same hole are three sets of like the two foot long and uh, you know the 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 pistol grip things, yeah. and that's for getting those treble hooks out of those gar. So if you're cruising around looking for gar, I mean looking for redfish and sea gar, wouldn't worry about it a bit. Now you may see gar and not see redfish because the gar they don't ever really quit cruising. They don't. Uh, Scott, do they come? They come up in Gasper Air, right? So they're always up kind of higher in the water column you're going to see those guys all the time and where the redfish whenever they don't feel like doing their thing they're going to go sit still they're going to sit on bottom they're not going to move so you'll always see the gar whenever you don't see the redfish but um, I, i've spent years cruising around looking at this stuff and and the gar mean very little to nothing to me yeah and i've run across more gar here in the last few weeks you know after all this rain and everything they've really come out i pulled over one the other day that <laughs> uh, rocked the boat it was a solid five and a half six footer and was laying in the grass and you know i'm always in a foot or less of water and i'm coming up to this thing and I'm, i kind of glanced over i was like, what the heck is that and we were all in reds i kind of glanced down i thought what the hell is that it was laying in the grass and as we bumped it it spun and took off underneath the boat and about threw the guy that was on my pole on, on the casting platform about threw him off i was on the polling platform i had i had my poles so i was balanced myself a little bit but man he I mean, he seriously rocked the boat but it did not affect our redfish one bit. Back lakes out on that was on a main bay short bay front uh, outside Conti. Uh, so I'm not worried about them. I'm, I'll never worry about if I'm seeing gar. That's not going to turn me off of an area. To be clear for both of you guys, the, we're talking mostly mostly with redfish, because other fish gar might affect more. Or, or or no gars gar are typically eating the same bait that your game fish is after um, so I, I don't think so I, maybe no I, if you're trying to catch it i don't think so maybe if it's a little small you know juvenile trout or something it might eat that but you know you're gonna you're gonna see gar everywhere we spend a lot of time scouting for tournaments and um you know we're just driving around looking and you'll see a wad of gar and then right past them you know there, there's a wad of fish so no i don't think so i think they're kind of in the same they're looking for the same thing to eat there was one time when we were in uh fishing off of uh, smith point during one of the redfish cups and we moved back into that marsh up there twin bayous or whatever they call it double bayou where we had to go under the bridge and all that we had worked our way way back in the back end of that and we started seeing a lot of gar which i'm not concerned about and then we're seeing these big wakes and we're saying, man, the reds are in here. They're just not eating. So we sit down and we're, we're settling in and we're just watching, waiting for, you know, waiting for the right shot at them. 
and we see a weight coming. It's all right, here we go. Yeah, we're ready. Going to pitch in front of this one. And it was a carp. The water back there had gotten so fresh. There had been a storm up ahead of us, and it, it, the water had run off in there from the ditches. And, I mean, it wasn't a bad storm, so we weren't really expecting it to be fresh. Reached down there and tasted that water a little bit and went, ah, hell, it's fresh. It's really, really fresh. When there's, when there's gar and carp, in the in the waterway, then that's a chance that you might want to find someplace else. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know what? Since we're here, let's let's uh, settle the 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 opposing theories, if you will, on bottlenose on on uh, on you know the dolphin that we see in some of these bays. You hear it. I've heard both sides of the story. I've heard both sides of the story. Oh man, you see bottlenose, you don't want, and you know just just pick up and move on. I've also heard. And experience both sides, you know. Oh, but they're going to they're going to be pushing those trout. They're going to be pushing those trout. What is there, or is there an exact theory on bottlenose? First of all, they're dolphin, not porpoise. They're they're dolphin, not porpoises. And I, I get it all the time. Oh, look at the porpoise. But no, they're. Uh, one thing I've noticed here recently, I've had a lot of uh, dolphins around on me on the beachfront, and they've all got babies right now. It's really cool. They're little bitty ones, and it's like they're teaching them to hunt. I've had it go both ways. I've been out there where I've been catching the hell out of trout, you know, especially wade fishing, working it. Everything's looking good. We're catching fish, and the, you know, dolphins show up, and everything quits. It just shuts down. I've had it the other way where we weren't really doing all that well, and we're just working our way through it and kind of grinding and had some dolphin come down a shoreline, and then everybody hooks up. Yeah, I don't know if the fish, they were being pushed. Trout don't quit eating because there's dolphin in the area that's the theory i've always i've heard that a lot i don't think they quit eating i think they might move and they might disappear or they might come closer to you uh one of my favorite areas is the fish down in rockport uh it was a deep cut that came around there and it was a sandbar and we would stand on that sandbar next to that deep cut that went out into the open bay and as boats would come and go they'd look at us like we were crazy because it was the main channel going out you know heading out that way and but every time a boat would come by it would push those trout up to the bank right up and it was a straight up and down drop i mean we're in knee-deep water next step you took was over your head and those fish would get right up against that thing would cast parallel to it same thing would happen when the dolphins would come through that little cut and dolphin were always out there as they would start messing around and doing their thing those fish would go right up against that bank yeah i mean so there's really no answer. I mean, it, it can go one way or the other. Just keep fishing, see what the see what it does. When I'm fishing around dolphin, I don't catch trout on accident. I catch them on purpose. Come on, come on, that was a good one. Hey, dad jokes, man. I did it. I finished it. Uh, I've been in Port O'Connor and watching them throw trout up in the air 50 yards away from us, and we were still catching, you know, as uh, as many as we wanted to. If they're right in front of him, right in front of us, tearing them, tearing them up, then obviously it's time to move. But like Scott was saying, I don't think that just because there's some in the area that you might as well get up and leave. That those those dolphin will move the fish around, but it's not going to kill the the whole area. If, if if that was true, then Matagorda, West Bay, and Port O'Connor wouldn't even be fishable. If if you worried about a dolphin, you could see. You know, we all ha- we all have those spots, the, the, those last those last cast spots on the way in. So I'm fishing, you know, East Matagorda, and you know whatever catch fish, don't catch fish, whatever the day was. Uh, and I saw some dolphin in the intercoastal, in the ditch. And, and I'm like, eh. Because my point on dolphin is they're, they're, they're moving the trout, as, as you said, Scott. They're pushing them somewhere, either 
to a place where you can't catch any fish <laughs> or to a place where you're going to catch a mess of fish. So I'm like, eh, okay, that was my last ditch spot. There was a, uh, no pun intended. See, we all have dad jokes. Uh, so, <laughs> and so, uh, and there's this little cut into the bay on the far, far east side. Uh, one of the, one of the cuts. And I'm like, you know, if I were a trout, <laughs> like what you've talked about in the past, and those dolphin were over there, I'd be right up against this or going into the bay. And I stopped and, and caught a bunch of trout. And so now I stop at that place all the time as a last ditch. Eh, you know, there's an hour left of light. Uh, I'm not hungry. I'll just stop here. I've regularly caught fish trout there, even if I don't see dolphins. So it's kind of weird. You know, you can kind of stumble upon a kind of a, a an environment for fish that way as well. But uh, uh, that's neither here nor there uh, for the next question. Uh, I want to talk to you guys. Uh, what is everyone's preferred method uh, to storing, carrying soft plastics? Do you take them out of the, ba uh, the bag and uh, put them in, in your box or other tackle box, or do you leave them in the bag? This, at, at, on the surface, this seems like a kind of a, well, who cares type question. You know, you got your soft plastics. However you carry them, you carry them. What I do, Scott, I think I've mentioned this to you in the past. A lot of times I'll have, I, I, I carry a sling bag, so I like to be able to be mobile. So if I can just go and hop on one of you guys' boats, I still got everything I need. Uh, and then I keep everything else here in the trailer, the, all in storage. But occasionally I'll put a bag on the console because of sunlight and everything. It gets, it fades the colors lighter, makes the colors lighter. Uh, I just keep them in the bags themselves, the actual deadly dudley bag. Okay, uh, some I keep in there, some I put on the console. Those lighter ones, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> Those lighter ones, when it's real clear water, I use the the, the the plastics that have faded. And for some reason, maybe it's a strategy, maybe it's just dumb luck, I always do better with the, the colors that have faded than the colors that are bright and vivid in, in real clear water. It's because you throw those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that old thing of, they're only eating this. That's all I'm throwing. Well, that's why that's the only thing they're eating, because that's the only thing you threw. Now, I, I take all of mine. Of course, Caleb and I are different than the average joe out there we're going through a lot of soft plastics so i'm buying them in bulk you know from my doa plastic soft plastics ed sends me a bag of them and he'll he just sends it to me like 200 in a bag <laughs> of one color and so i've got those in tupperwares on my fishing uh little workshop my workbench and i've got those all sitting up in there and then so i keep uh, a plastic box, you know, a plain old box or anything like that. And I did it way back, too, before I was doing this. I always bought extra. I always had a bunch, you know, at the house, and I would keep that box stocked. And I like to have it that way because then I knew how many were in that box. I could look through that clear plastic lid, and I could say, okay, I'm, I'm running a little bit low on those because I didn't always remember, you know, how many we used or a buddy reached in and grabbed a handful of some hot color that he liked. So then it just... It kept me from going out on the water the next trip and going, damn, I don't have any of those. So having it where it's very visible to me helped. If I did it the other way where I just had bags, and I did that for a long time too, uh, especially when the Ziploc bags first came out where you're buying them in the Ziplocs, ah, man, that was the greatest thing ever because we didn't have to put them anywhere. We can put them in our pocket. Before that, it was just a plastic bag that you ripped open, so we had to put them in a box. But uh, with the little Ziplocs, man, we started putting them in our pocket. Well, then I ended up finding out that I'd reach in there and that bag only had one soft plastic left in it, you know, and now I'm out of that color. <laughs> and I got to either go beg, borrow, and steal from my buddy or just do without and switch, co change color. colors, you know. I'd, 
most of the time I just change colors. You know me. It's dark or it's light, you know, one of the two. So I would just kind of move over to a different dark color or different light color. So that's the way I handle it now. I don't know if Caleb even has a system. Uh, he may, may not. I know Brian Barrera down there. I don't know if you fished with Brian yet, but I give him hell all the time because he just basically has a coffee can that's on his dash and there's just all these different colors thrown into this coffee can and i can't stand it the jig heads are hanging on the sides of the coffee can i mean as we're running and it and it's bouncing and we're running across the bay and jig heads are bouncing off and bouncing around our feet you know brian's a great fisherman fantastic fisherman he is so disorganized with his tackle it 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 gives it gives me hives, man. I mean, I, I start twitching when I get on his boat. So I guess I'm gonna stop at the dollar store and buy plastic boxes on the way out for when we fish this week, Scott. My cup holders are completely full of different colors of plastics. There's probably three corkies, two crank baits, a rattle trap, four old spinner baits. You know, some hooks are rusty, something, but I have a lot of cup holders. What I do is I, I set myself up each day. Now I'm not as organized as Scott. I don't have a plastic box on my workbench in my fishing room. What I have is a crumbling FedEx box that the lures came in, shoved up underneath the tower of my boat. <laughs> and there's four or five Ziploc bags completely full of stuff. But when I get to where I'm gonna wade, I will grab three or four of each color. I'll put it in my wading box. If I'm fishing out of the boat, I'm gonna grab, you know, five, six of whatever color I'm using, I'm going to put it in my pocket so whenever I lose that plastic, I can stick another one right back on. It, I find that if I leave them in my waiting box, if I fill my waiting box up with all these different colors of lures, what ends up happening is is they get all mixed up, I get overwhelmed, I dump them out, I put something else in the next time. A bit of value I think I can bring here is a if you have them in your waiting box and, and 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 it fills up with water or if you have them in a bag or a box or something in your boat and it gets water in it we've all seen it where the the lure turns real milky and just it it, it looks like it's completely ruined in fact i've had guides that i parked my boat next to down in matagorda back when i had the boat slip they would give me uh, you know, a two-gallon bag of X-brand lure here and say they're ruined, they got wet, you can have them. I actually had a, a, a lure guy, a manufacturer, tell me, it's been about a year ago now, I told him I'd just thrown away like 200 plastics because they were purple, but w whenever I got them, and now they're just white and look like garbage. He told me you take them and you put them out on a cookie sheet, just set them on the, in, in, on the counter in your house. Your air conditioner's drying the air out. And he said they're all going to look like new in a day or so. So I did that. I I took the ones I didn't throw away. I put them on that cookie sheet. They were white, milky, look looked terrible. Day and a half later, they all looked like they were brand new. So I can I my answer. I kind of agree with Scott, but at least I brought something to you here. If you have a bunch of ruined, if plastics that look ruined, let them dry out. They're going to be as good as new. That's one. That's a new one on me. I hadn't heard that. I'm definitely going to try it uh, for sure. It, Except for, yeah, don't do it with gulp. Um, except for those faded ones that I use in clear water, Scott, uh, for sure. Uh, speaking of which, you were talking about a wading uh, box. Um, our friends over at, uh, it's funny, the, 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 the friends you have uh, over at Wade Right, uh, Tim, and uh, he, he goes on this Chandelier Island trip uh, every every year. So uh, we've all been invited to the Chandelier Islands next year. Uh, with Tim Stamps uh, from the Wade Wright Belt. Of course, I have that Madre Sling and uh, swear by it. All right, one more here for you guys before we get out of here. Um, and this is a good one. Uh, I have my thoughts. I think I'll share my thoughts first since, since I was uh, I, I shared them on the Facebook group page. Uh, for This is a question for those who don't live near the coast and for those that do, uh, it's a fella that is wanting to move somewhere. We all have that dream, right? I'm down here in Sargent. I used to be in 
uh, in Sabine. It may not be luxurious, and it may not be 99 acres or whatever it is that Scott has, but I love my place. This is what I've always wanted to do. And the decisions went into Sabine and decisions went into uh, me being down here in Sargent now. So if you were to move down to the coast or, or closer to the coast, where would you choose and why? Now, the, the simple answer to that question is I like Rockport, so I'm moving to Rockport, you know, hell or high water. Or I like East Matagorda or West Matagorda or Port O'Connor. I'm moving there no matter what. My answer to him was this, uh, especially if you still have a job and you're not moving full time. I think he's mainly talking about... Uh, your, your second place. My answer was that you don't want to move, you know, too far away from home. I think that's a big mistake uh, because you'll go fishing less often if you have to drive four, four and a half hours, as opposed to the hour and a half or two that I drive to get down here. That's number one. Uh, my my second answer was, you either want to move to a place that you know really, really well, or you want to learn really, really well. So you know, so you can move down there, and all of a sudden, this I'm gonna make this my bay. Uh, and then the other thing I told him is, does it fit the people who are going to use it the most? If it, you can fish with your kids the most, you can fish with your wife and family the most, you can fish with your buddies the most, you can fish by yourself and, and fish hard. You can, you know. So th that's what I would say. But like uh, uh, Scott, you've you've made the move. You've lived in different places. You know, recommendations for I'm guessing like your second place, but you want to go down to the water. Camille and I spent a lot of time going all up and down the coast over the years we'd vacation here vacation there uh, we'd get stuck on one place for a while we were stuck on rockport for a while we were stuck on port mansfield for a while uh, so every year we went there <clears throat> but we kept kind of coming back to port o'connor uh, and partly for the reason you were talking about it was close you know for and the old joke always for Port O'Connor was that it should be in the 713 area code, you know, because everybody, everybody was there. You know, everybody from Houston was in Port O'Connor. I didn't want to live in a touristy kind of town. Uh, Matagorda is not tourist. Port O'Connor is not. Sea Drift's not. You know, there's we have places up and down the coast that are, you know, Rockport, Port A, you know, yeah. South Padre. Those are very touristy. I, I love South Padre. I love fishing down there with Brian. I love, you know, it's fantastic. But if I were going to move down there, and we did, we looked at it, uh, I'd go to the Arroyo or I'd go to Port Mansfield. I'm more of the fishing town kind of guy. I want a fishing town with a drinking problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's, or what's well, the other way? Like no, it, it's a drinking town with a fishing problem. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of place that I like to be. And it ended up with Port O'Connor being that close to Houston. My girls were getting older. They're both settled in the Houston area. We don't want to be too far away from them. Uh, we looked at the Arroyo. We looked at property down there. Uh, that was going to be a six to seven hour drive one way. We knew we were going to move to it eventually. Yeah. So it wasn't about our commute for us to go fishing, but it was about our commute to go back and see family and all of that. And for them to come see us, you know, part of the reason to, to move to the coast is so that your family can come visit you and come hang out. Uh, so we looked at uh, waterfront houses. We looked at houses in Port O'Connor. We looked around different places. We looked at the sanctuary, uh, buying a piece of property there. And then come to find out there was this ranch that was being broken up, and it fit what we like to do. I've always wanted a big big piece of property that I could have my cows on. And, you know, I like walking outside and peeing off the porch. Let's be honest. You know, I've got no neighbors. I've got, you know, it's, it's just me out there. You know, I really enjoy it. So you have to know yourself. You have to know what you like. 
I've always, I always was on deer leases. I bought a place that's got deer on it. I got deer, I got turkeys, I got quail, I got all those things hanging out. And uh, so I can just walk off my back porch and go hunt. If you can find a place like that, it's where you want to be. You know, I'm happy all the time there. I don't want to leave. I don't like driving up here to do this. I, I just want to be on my place. I want Caleb just to have to come down there and find me. You know, and usually that's how it happens. Caleb comes driving out there and, you know, just shows up. If you really enjoy a lot of people and you it's tourist is, you know, you got to have people around you. Or there's a big thing. My wife is fine with it. She likes being out there in the country just like I do. I've got a buddy up there in New York, Dan, that listens all the time. He's He would be happy on Lane Road, really, really happy. His girlfriend, not so much. I mean, she's born and raised in New York City. So Lane Road is a long ways from New York City. So she needs a place more like Corpus or Rockport, you know, somewhere around there. So that's where they're looking uh, for their retirement is a place where she's got some shopping she's got restaurants she's got all that we got like two restaurants you know i mean we're we're not fancy while you were telling that story i was looking at all the new holes i put in my hands with hooks this weekend and the seven the number seven well i guess i guess the cat's gonna come out of the bag here and i guess it might be good that i'm saying it to make myself do it i was planning on keeping it to myself but I'm currently looking for somewhere new. I'm wanting to go guide over on the Texas-Louisiana border during the, the summer months. And then I'll be over here in Matagorda fall, winter, and spring for trout fishing. And so I, I'm looking for multiple reasons um, or multiple – I'm looking for multiple somethings right now. Uh, I, I, I'm lost. But rather than, you know, what's good for my friends and my family, I'm looking what's good for my customers because that, that's why I'm going there. Um, I've The demand I've gotten for sight casting on my boat has – it, it delights me because that's my favorite thing to do. And there's so much marsh over there that <clears throat> when people come, I if it's windy or not, I'm going to be able to go put you on something uh, most of the time. My, my checklist is this. Like you said, not too far away. Would I love to be down in Hopedale or somewhere like that? Absolutely. It's too far. Um, it's two hours from my house to Lake Calcasieu, and it's an hour and a half from my house to Sabine. So I decided somewhere in between those two places. I want something that, that, that I'm going to be able to leave my stuff at, be gone for two weeks, and when I come back, my stuff's still there, which a lot of these little fishing communities, there's not that good of a chance of you finding that spot. That's going to be the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And so you're going to have to talk to the locals and talk to the other fishermen and, hey, you know, Where's the, where are the places that, you know, everybody keeps an eye on my, on, my, on my stuff at? Like you said before, somewhere you really know or somewhere you want to learn. The area between Sabine and Calcasieu, I've been there several times. I know it good enough to run around about, I don't know, 70% of it. By the time I start guiding there, I'm going to know 95% of it. I have a desire to learn it even better because not only is it going to help my guiding, it's going to help my, my tournaments throughout, throughout Louisiana. So, I mean, th there, there it is. Is it accessible to you in a logical distance? Uh, is it somewhere that you're not going to be stressed out that your stuff's being taken from you, stolen? Um, and is it somewhere that you are going to be willing to get up and drive two hours to go fish at? It's that is that simple and it's that complicated at the same time. Good stuff, man. And and I'm with you, Scott. My kids were grown. Uh, maybe eventually have grandkids. I don't want them driving six hours. Go to Rockport. I'd love to go to Rockport. My wife would like us to be in Rockport more than here. And that's not throwing her under the bus. She just you know doesn't fish as much. Uh, so yeah. So make it make those decisions for you. Hey, really good stuff. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to make sure everybody uh, contacts. 
Uh, Captain Caleb, uh, you, uh, however you want to contact him, it's... Uh, Captain Caleb TV on Facebook. I'm starting to do a lot more there and a lot less on my personal page. My personal page is starting to fill up. I can't, I can't accept very many more people. The other side, I'm treating that as my personal page. So my business page, Captain Caleb TV, um, come follow it. It's gotten a lot bigger, a lot faster. And so most of my stuff is going there now. And, of course, Scott, yeah, you, you, they can reach you uh, via Instagram. Uh, they can message you on the group page. Um, and from there, you can uh, leave us questions as well. Really good stuff. I'm glad you came back this week, uh, Caleb and, and Scott. I know you guys are going to be on the water, so hopefully uh, everybody's going to catch some fish. Uh, the weather is past us, and we'll be able to uh, to have some fun out on the water, man. Y'all have tight lines and a lot of fun. We'll talk to you next week.